0: Hello and welcome to Let Him Roar Again, I'm Amy Perry and joining me again today is Rachel McNamara. Rachel is an actor, director and teaching artist who trained at Theatre Nepean. She's a teaching artist currently for the Sydney Theatre Company's School Drama Program and is interested in young people accessing high quality arts experiences. I just love that phrase Rachel, I think that's, that's you to a T, welcome.
1: Thank you, thank
0: you very much. Now, we've already had a conversation about regional Australia and Shakespeare uh, and talked about your particular location there in Aubrey-Wodonga, and today we're going to talk a little bit more broadly about young people in Shakespeare or youth theatre in Shakespeare. One of the things that keeps coming up for me is the adult themes in Shakespeare. Those plays are full of adult themes. Why do you think his works are taught in schools and performed for and by children, why do we have Shakespeare for young people?
1: Well, I, look, I think this is a question that's thrown around in schools often mm. and and I think um, that, you know, when it's taught well, Shakespeare can actually be a unit on history and ethics and theatre all rolled into one. You know, it can be really an experience where students are learning, you know, about and through theatre at the same time Um, and I think that the the language in Shakespeare can be a real turning point for some students in terms of their kind of giving them license to be poetic and Mm. sort of stretch for the kind of universal themes and understand kind of archetypes that exist in writing yeah but I think it it sort of it does depend on the age of the young people and the context in which they're learning about Shakespeare you know like you're not going to get year three to sit through Water the Roses kind of business. But if um, like allowing them to understand archetypes that exist in plays and like the etymology of words and I think it can be really exciting and sometimes depending on who's teaching it, that kind of enthusiasm for heightened language or for Shakespeare can, can be contagious and that love of learning, you know, is what we're trying to inspire in our kids all the time.
0: Yeah, uh, Simon Ward and I talked recently about psychology and Shakespeare and the thinking that perhaps there could be trigger warnings on some of these plays. I think those primary school productions tend to be about Midsummer, although I would argue that there are adult themes in Midsummer as well, depending on the direction. How do you um, do you think that the language trumps some of those themes? or that it's important maybe to explore some of those themes in an appropriate way? I think it's
1: always important to explore themes in an appropriate way with young people, you know, and I think um, that theatre can be a space for young people to really um, stretch their, like, celebrate the power of the imagination Mm -hmm. but also kind of stretch their points of view and kind of bump up against um, things that they find challenging or frightening um, or, um, yeah, you know, worrying in a really safe scaffolded context. And I think the arts can provide all of those things, you know. And I also yeah, I think that depending on the context, you know, of the students that you're working with, um, the language in Shakespeare can be a real barrier to some students who, you know, might be struggling with English or developing, you know, but sometimes the kind of heightened nature of the archetypes inside, like the universal nature of the themes inside the work can be the conduit for learning you know, just in despite, despite the language. So um, I think, yes, what you're saying about trigger warnings, I think is if, in anything that you bring into a classroom setting, you're always going to be like, right, so this is what we're going to do and you're kind of making sure that it's appropriate to the kids that you're working with.
0: Yeah, but that's not a barrier to engaging with Shakespeare for you.
1: No, I think it's like it's really exciting and it does have that intergenerational possibility too, you know, like that, if, if, like, my grandma understands the archetypes that are in Shakespeare, so if my, like, eight-year-old has had, like, a positive experience and they start talking about um, a character in Shakespeare, it can act as this, um, you know, a great opportunity for intergenerational conversation to happen, you I know. I love
0: that. I love that. I hadn't really thought about that before, but I really like that um, sense of what, joins us. He's been around for so long. We talk about whether or not we should still be exploring his plays, particularly in a classroom. but that intergenerationality is is really important actually, that there's some shared experience. Mm.
1: Yeah, and I think also like just the historical context, you know provides us with like as students get a bit older, that even when you bump up against something inside a text or inside a Shakespeare work that where, our modern, like our contemporary values have changed. Mm-hmm. You know, it serves for a really great learning possibility to be like, okay, how can we, you know, what what is our morality or what, mm. you know, what's what's shifted? Like it's that I think that's why, um, you know, why Shakespeare for young people is is that it does provide that opportunity of that kind of um yeah, multiple entry points. Whether you come at it from a historical perspective, or you know, you went to London and you saw the Globe, or um, you've seen a work in a community setting, or you know, there's multiple entry points that um, you can mine Shakespeare for. There's so many ways into it, you know.
0: Yeah, that gorgeous
1: universality of experience. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's and it's also deeply rewarding. I think when you um when you when you get it you know like when you've had that experience of being like oh, that what it you know yeah. um that challenge the the kind of rigor that it takes to really unpack the language is actually quite rewarding when you do achieve it and i think that that's a great thing you know that when it's taught well it's easy to unpack you know and the rhythm inside that's built inside the language is actually so Clever, you know. Yeah. Exciting, you know, and um, energizing.
0: Yeah, it's in the way it's taught, making sure that it's accessible but also rewarding. Mm. Yeah,
1: and you know, and I think that that's the I think that's the thing is making sure that students have success mm. um, when they encounter a Shakespeare that it doesn't become this kind of alienating thing, you know yes. that that whoever's kind of facilitating that experience that it is. Um, yeah, mind for its possibility mm. in terms of whether it's like whether getting it up on the floor or, like, contemporizing it in a way, or the themes in a way that is meaningful to those group of students or, um, yeah, just, like, reminding us of the, the humanity that sits across the kind of the work.
0: Yeah, I love that. That's great. Um, tell me about Sydney Theatre Company's school drama program. How does it work?
1: Well, School Drama is um, a teacher professional learning program that mentors primary teachers to use process drama with, like, high-quality literature to develop students' imaginations and critical literacies and specifically in their, like, literacy programs. Hmm. So and- teaching to use drama in literacy, but it, it's... um. It now has like another a, a, a number of other arms, so it doesn't just exist in primary school settings. But that's where I work mostly. But it does exist in juvenile justice and other settings as well.
0: And you've trained and worked as a secondary teacher. So, what's it like taking some of those experiences with older uh, young people into a primary school?
1: Um, what is it like? <laughs> Well, I think like my understanding of being uh, primarily my role in school drama is it's co-mentoring teachers. Mm. So my experience, like I'm P to 12 trained as a teacher um, and have worked in, yeah, as you say, in like secondary settings. I think what I bring from that experience is just the understanding of how hard it is to be a teacher, (laughs) you Mm. know, like what challenges of maintaining that sense of, Um, play and imagination inside your teaching practice and um, and just sort of uh, particularly with school drama, it's about just reminding teachers or reawakening that sense that the arts can be um, a way, like a pedagogy in itself, that, Mm. you know, you can teach through drama um, and that you can and by doing that, it really does, you'll see different kids light up you know. Mm. And I think we see that
0: over and over. Yeah, over and over. And that kind of leads to the next question. Um, I talked a moment ago about Simon Ward and we were talking on that episode about psychology and Shakespeare about the blue page in children's books. I love that idea. I'd never really thought about it. And now sitting down again, finding that blue page, the page where something difficult happens for the characters he talked about that being in all children's books how do you approach that practically in a class of primary school aged children how do you use drama to access that blue
1: page well in school drama I seek out those texts Ah. because we we take a text um, and read it in what School drama has called this um, episodic model. So we don't read the whole text at once. You're kind of mm-hmm. doing little, little chunks of a text um, over seven weeks, and using process-based drama strategies to kind of open up the imaginative spaces in that text. Mm-hmm. So if the text doesn't have um, like enough imaginative space for kids to infer into. Um, you know, or they don't, it doesn't have a blue page where kids can empathise about or, you know, empathise with that character's journey. It doesn't stand up to the school drama process. So part of the program is about, you know, um, giving teachers access to a range of those texts. Um, and Professor Robin Ewing and the and the staff at STC are really great at finding those texts. And that's one of the joys of the program is you know, saying here are all these amazing children's books that do have that kind of, uh, yeah, rigor about them, I guess, like imaginative space. It's space where you can infer, where kids can be like, what would happen next or, um, yeah, I think um, not all children's books have them, you know, with, with um, you know, phonics-based texts there's no um, comprehension there really. It's about the phonics, not about the narrative journey. So I think I love those. <laughs> I practically approach them with joy and <laughs> process-based drama, you know, like because yes, I, I think um, kids love, they love it. They love um, that the possibility of really. Uh, stepping into that character's world and thinking about if they were, you know, if they were that, if they were, um, yeah, mm. hush, and Grandma Posse, you know, as you and Simon were talking about, you know, what is it like to be hush and feel invisible? We can all identify with that feeling, you know, of wanting to be seen you know, all the way down to kindy, you know, kindy tier six can kind of access that. So that blue page is like so valuable because it's like, great, now go on, write about that, you know, like what a, what a gift.
0: And so a safe place, safe place to explore that as well. Yeah.
1: if you're in yeah. that
0: controlled school environment. It, it's almost yeah. like Stanislavski for primary school.
1: Well, I mean, I think in terms of the school drama program, we're really looking at literacy outcomes. So you're kind of focusing on ways to use drama to remind teachers that, oh, if I hot seat that character, that can be an exercise in oracy, like Mm. you know, that kid. But also, you know, um, inference and Mm. comprehension, because if I can step into that character, given the circumstances of the text, you know, and then From there, I can take them to the page, you know, that um, really that's what the program is about, is about saying that there's these kind of, that drama-based, process drama-based strategies are a really great way um, that you can use across the curriculum to actually look at, you know, literacy um, outcomes, yeah.
0: And also giving a, another way, another access point to demonstrate understanding. You know, it doesn't always have to be a comprehension question. It can also be, yeah, hot seating and stepping into a character and empathising to show understanding as well.
1: Yes, yeah. And I think the joy of being in, um, you know, of the program is that is that often um, those drama-based strategies will light up kids that, Um, If they haven't been using those strategies in a classroom, um, they'll light up different kids, you know, those different learning styles, physical-based learning styles. or um, And all of a sudden, you, you know, the teacher will be like, oh, great, now I see, you know, that that's a way in for that student. You know, if I hot seat and record it or if I get them to do a town meeting that actually they're demonstrating like really amazing Inference and comprehension that that you couldn't see when it was just sort of like writing on a page or other kind of assessment strategies. Yeah, I love it. I love this. Love the program. Everyone should do it. <laughs> <laughs> and do you think that um,
0: having seen it done as a teacher, you're? Do you think when a teacher watches you do that, they're then more able to put it into other units as well?
1: Yeah, well, yes. The The SDC program is a co-mentoring program. So the mm-hmm. idea is that, like, the teacher is teaching me about literacy mm-hmm. and I'm teaching them about um, process-based drama strategies. Um, so it is this kind of deeply collaborative process that happens over seven weeks. And the intention is, yes, that at the end of that seven weeks that teacher does feel really empowered and skilled to use those strategies not just in the literacy session ideally but across the curriculum you know and it was kind of developed the program was developed in consultation like in collaboration with um sydney university in response to the idea that yeah the arts in schools you know was at risk of disappearing Mm. so that so, really reframing the arts and saying, Look, it is a practice, but it's also a pedagogy. And if you can use it in the classroom, you, you don't need to be a drama trained specialist, and it doesn't always need to be about, you know, performance outcomes, that you can use drama as a pedagogy. And I think that's so exciting. Hmm. Um, yeah, I find that so exciting as yeah. someone who kind of has walked, you know, yeah, is equal parts kind of educator and artist. You you know the power of the arts because you've seen it and felt it from an from an artist perspective. And then as a teacher, you know you know what a good lesson plan does, you know, yeah. when you can see kids are engaged with you. Um, so yeah. I yeah. love the program. Does
0: the program allow you to go into regional centers?
1: Well, the joy of it of yes, it's been my absolute lifeline when we moved back to Albury. Um STC, we're running a pilot program in Aubrey-Wodonga of all places. And, yeah, so it's been running I think for six years now. Mm. Um, and we do, I uh, myself and another teaching artist um, do all schools sort kind of in our radius. Yeah, so schools with, you know, ten kids in them and then larger schools and some multiple teachers at one school and um yeah, we've also the other teaching artists that works on the program, works in juvenile justice centres and with newly arrived migrant settings. And, mm. yeah, so it's great. It, it's really amazing, actually, to be connected to a national company like STC, but it, be able to live here in Aubrey um, and do that work. Like, it's phenomenal.
0: Yeah, and it's that ability to access uh, what you need, although it's a Sydney-based theatre company, they're providing those opportunities to broader Australia, despite yeah. physical distance, I guess.
1: Totally. Yeah, I think it's really exciting, you know, and providing work for artists too, like, you know, it's really great. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I want to use my next question to transition from our discussion about working with primary school students and their teachers to, I guess, a more general discussion of your experience as an actor and what Shakespeare means to you. With STC's School Drama Program, you're working on adapting children's literature for the classroom and theatre how has your grounding and training in Shakespeare enriched your engagement with other writers for Page and Stage?
1: Well, I think um, I think it, it, to, to really break the back of a, a Shakespeare, in my experience, you've just got to remain curious, you know. Mm. You've got to really get to and know that you're not ever going to know it first go. You know that there's always something new to find on any given day. There's going to be something different or some different perspective that you can put on that word, that phrase, that rhythm. You know that the same play with a different director and a different cast can be completely thematically different. You know, and depending on what life experience. Mm. Yeah, and I think that's true of any work. You know, Um, so I think. Shakespeare, particularly for me, because I'm such a sucker for heightened language, like I really love it, has taught me to relish the words that the author has chosen that the writer has chosen and be curious about them and be kind of rigorous about my uh, response to the punctuation that the writer has selected. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But also to find the music in the text if it's text-based and guess always for me it's about a sense of play finding a sense of play and connection you know mm. that you're the work is the work that you've got in the rehearsal room and then uh and there's joy in the play of that but then once you're starting to hand it over to an audience it's a communion with them and a conversation with the audience mm. um but I think is inherent in a Shakespearean text. You can feel that it was built to be performed, you know, and you, you've got to be awake and listening to your audience that for it to work. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's true of any text, but also but particularly when you're working with young people, you know, <laughs> because they will, you know, if you lose them, you've lost them. You've got to stay <laughs> on the edge. You know, they're the most... Uh, delightfully critical audience you can come across i think like deeply rewarding yeah. <laughs> but also savage yes <laughs> you, need you... To go to the toilet <laughs> <laughs> if people are going to the toilet you know yeah
0: yes and you have to hold head. them hold them right through um, through the difficulties of the language or or the challenge of learning something new Because so often that's when the toilet break happens, right? Yeah. Is when things get tough. When things get tough, go to the bathroom.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I think in my experience it's not when things get tough. Like they actually relish the challenge. Hmm. Obviously, you know, if it's, um, yeah, I think often young people are patronised in terms of like what they can withstand so they Mm. they do relish a challenge but if it's boring or Mm. sometimes yeah patronizing then you'll be like there's a you know a wave of young people that need to go to the bathroom all at all at once yeah it's
0: that combination of not being curious enough or not excited enough to meet that challenge yeah yeah it's just hard slog that's when we lose them I think
1: yeah, I think you've just got to be balanced. And mm. Shakespeare has taught me that a well-placed fart joke, um, <laughs> you know, yes. always toilet humour, like to to keep them engaged. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, and he definitely had those for sure, for sure. Is there one misconception about Shakespeare that you'd want to banish forever? Um,
1: uh, look, I... As a lover of language, I would like to change the idea that in order to make Shakespeare accessible you have to rewrite the language. Mm, yep. You know, because I've, I think that having found such delight in the nuances of the rhythm of the language that sometimes that is something that's lost in kind of trying to contemporize a script or rewrite um, Shakespeare to make it more um, Accessible, but actually, you lose that. You know what I find um, one of one of the wonderful things about Shakespeare's work is that kind of musicality that underpins the language and and all the kind of things that you can mine in that as a performer. Um, so yeah, I'd like to see yeah to not shy away from just keeping the language as it is and and still you know shifting context or other ways without rewriting it
0: yeah I think sometimes teachers use the spark notes version as, as an in you know because it's something that can be understood and then maybe we build to the language are you saying that it must build to the language or we should start with the original
1: no I'm just saying uh, I'm definitely use spark notes to scaffold to the language but mm-hmm. don't Uh, leave out the language you
0: know Mm. yeah don't just leave it at that
1: yeah and productions I think uh, specifically I'm thinking about productions of works that end up um yeah not in you know where pentameter is is gone um in amazing speeches and I think oh there's so much but yeah I feel like that's a loss and it comes from a misconception that you know that in order for audiences to be able to access it, the language has to be contemporary. Um, Mm. And I think that that's true. I think it just needs to be um, that whoever's performing it and directing it needs to understand it and it needs to be conveyed in a way that it's accessible.
0: As we would with anything else, right? That's right. Yeah, yeah. We can't just put him in the too hard basket. Yeah, no, not too hard. No, I like that. That's cool. Is there one play or one role that means more to you than others? Um, no, I love them all. No, nah, try all. again. <laughs> <laughs> Only I'm allowed to say that, Rachel. <laughs> My children. Um, no, I was thinking
1: about this and I think... um. I actually, I mean, what excites me is discovering um, plays, Shakespearean plays that I haven't discovered before. So I think all the roles that I've inevitably by performing in a play, you come to know it from the inside, you know. So for me, you know, we've done Macbeth numerous times and um yeah, Tempest, Midsummer Night's Dream. Or, um, so I love those plays deeply, having known them mm. from the inside and performed them, you know, you come to love them from whatever role and perspective that you're coming to them. But I think, like, the joy of discovering a new work, particularly like, you know, a history or something that you hadn't, that you kind of hadn't really, that's my dog now, um, a history that you hadn't, yeah, found a connection to or a way into that is shown to you um, by a director or by a, um, a maker. That's really exciting to me. So it's sort of like the unknown is exciting to me.
0: Yeah, that's almost the anti answer.
1: Yes, <laughs> there is one role that means something to me, and I haven't met them yet, but I know <laughs> that I've <like> already. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So perfect. You're always so articulate about these things. I love it. I love it. Having said that, I always get guests to finish this second episode by reading their favourite lines or passage. What have you picked?
1: I have picked a sonnet. Ah, okay. Sonnet 116 is my favourite at the moment
0: you say at the moment, is this one that's hung around for a while or, or just particularly now? Um,
1: I think this, this one's been on my mind for a while. Hmm. Um, but, yeah, I do sort of like, yeah, little passages come in, you, you know, they cut like like I'm sure you do too, like little song lyrics or passages kind of sit around, bumble around in your brain for a while. And, yeah, this one's been particularly in lockdown, I think, yeah this sonnet spoke to me so sonnet 116 did you say yes yes when you're ready let me not to the marriage of true minds admit impediments love is not love which alters when it alteration finds or bends with the remover to remove oh no it is an ever-fixed mark that looks on tempests and is never shaken. It is the star to every wandering bark, whose worths are known, although his height be taken. Love's not time's full, though rosy lips and cheeks within his bending sickle's compass come. Love alters not within his brief hours and weeks, but bears it out, even to the edge of doom. If this be error, and upon me proved, I never writ, nor no man ever loved. So beautiful. Isn't it nice? I love it. Yeah,
0: and it has that rhythm that you were talking about. So lovely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you, Rachel McNamara, for joining us on Let Him Roar Again. Always a pleasure to speak to you. You are just so articulate and so joyous in your approach to theatre, to the arts more generally, and to young people in Australia.
1: Thank you, Amy. And congratulations on your podcast. It's very exciting. What a resource. You've been listening
0: to Let Him Roar Again, a podcast recorded by Amy Perry. Amid the Tall Blue Gums of Darragh Country. Performance of Bottom's Lines from A Midsummer Night's Dream by the phenomenal Simon Ward. Let me play the lion too. I will roar that I will do any man's heart good to hear me. I will roar that I will make the Duke say, Let him roar again, that